Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone. It is the 25th of January. This is Mornings Without Carmen. It's actually a week without Carmen. Carmen getting a well-deserved week off. It's been a while since she's been able to take such time. I'm Dr. Peter Kapsner filling in for today and this week. In the top of hour two here, I thought we'd cover some headlines. And sports has been in the news this weekend, specifically yesterday with the AFC Championship and the NFC Championship game in pro football and we of course in minnesota are devastated that the green bay packers lost we are get <laughs> maybe devastated would be too strong of a word um I, I don't want to use the word joyful so as to not alienate all of our lovely brothers and sisters in christ in the wisconsin area yes. but we did we will say it this way paul we watched with interest yesterday the packers losing Actually, in the game I, I, I didn't watch you did not watch i did not watch i was otherwise occupied i did keep an eye on the score and it was Okay, I I have to put it this way. Not that I'm a big fan of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right. or anything like that. Um and I do I do like seeing the NFC North for the most part do well except if it's the Lions. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I just can't I just can't don't do like the Lions. I can't do the Lions. But the but the Packers unfortunately did not. So yeah, I, I am sorry for all of our friends in the Wisconsin area. We did note, however, that the first year of Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, that Brady did take them to the Super Bowl. It is this tenth career Super Bowl. And our next guest uh, that's coming up here in just a couple minutes, we thought we'd bring her on a little early. It's Kirsten Watson, who is the spouse of former New England Patriots tight end Ben Watson, who played for about six years, winning a Super Bowl in New England, caught some 20 touchdown passes from Tom Brady. Good morning, Kirsten. Good morning. Great to have you. I'm really looking forward to our conversation on motherhood. I think that is by far, by any metric, far more important than whatever's going <laughs> to happen right now. But I'm curious, what what is a football Sunday like? Because Ben played, what, or about 16 years in the NFL? 16 years, 16 seasons of Sunday football, or Thursday or Monday. Or Saturday, depending on <laughs> so where what's it, you were in the season. Right. So what's it like in the house now on a Sunday? What what was Ben up to yesterday? How did you how did you process uh, that his former quarterback was heading to the Super Bowl again? That's funny you should ask. Well, it's something that is on with my son and Benjamin. They have a little pick 'em going on for the season. <laughs> so they are super, you know, into it. I, on the other hand, I mean, I love the guys that I know and the women and the families that we know that are still playing. But honestly, I'm happy to not have to watch. Um, (laughs) It was a lot of football for a lot of years. And so this year has has definitely been a little bit of, of, of a breath that I was able to take on Sundays and not be worried that, you know, Benjamin would come home with some type of injury or something wrong with him. So it's been nice. Yeah, I believe that. I was actually sitting watching with my wife, Hallie, yesterday, some of the games. And she, she said, I just, I have such a hard time watching. I just cringe every yeah. time they took impact. Was that like that with Benjamin when you would watch on a Sunday? Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, I would start a minor headache on Friday, <laughs> like, oh gosh, like leading up to Sunday. And even now when I do look up, 
It's like, I feel like one of my friend's husbands gets hurt. I'm like, why do I watch? Every time I watch, <laughs> someone is hurt. Someone is down. I like, I just, I really can't even, I can't even take it. Oh, that's so, great. And that's a voice. nice Sunday for me. <laughs> oh, I, I, that's great. I'm glad you can get a little time off. And then we'll be chatting in just a minute. Uh, that's the voice of Kirsten Watson. She is the new director of Mon Life Today, a really important ministry for mothers. We'll take a short break and be back with more with Kirsten Watson. It is coming up to about 10 minutes after the top of the hour. Hour two here on Mornings Without Carmen. We're chatting with Kirsten Watson, who was named the new executive editor of Mom Life Today. And Kirsten, looking forward to talking more about this ministry. But first of all, my understanding is, and based on the the beautiful pictures we've seen of your family, you have seven children. I thought five that I had was a lot. We were running out of room in the van, Kirsten. Do you have to go to sort of that that junior high kind of schooly busy sort of thing to get the kids around? Oh, we have jokes early in the morning. You sound like Benjamin. We drive a bus. We do drive a 12-passenger van (laughs) because we no longer fit in a Suburban, which was the longest vehicle I could find that would fit five of our kids. And so I was thinking with one more, we we would be able to still fit, but uh, we had twins. And so that just bumped (laughs) us to the next level of a vehicle. So (laughs) we are in a van rolling around. The streets of Boston. Pretty funny. Oh, I love it. And what is the what is the food situation like? I know when we start rolling out the mac and cheese for our kids, it's about 11 boxes of mac and cheese, and that's not <laughs> enough. So how do you possibly cook for this many children? I don't know. It's little by little. I say I mean, now the twins are obviously eating regular food. So like even last night cooking spaghetti, I'm like, we have two pounds of pasta, two pounds <laughs> of beef. To, you know, it's just like everything has more than doubled. And I'm like, you guys aren't even real people. Like... <laughs> adults or teenagers yet you're like all under the age of 11 we are in trouble so we're we need, clearly need to get a farm or do something with farming because we um we go through a lot of fruit and a lot of pasta and rice oh i love it we dipped our toes into farming as a family a little bit just by getting the requisite chicken coop right and i thought great we'll have eggs oh. forever but i'll tell you what i think those eggs the average cost of the egg is about 13 dollars right now compared to how much we had to spend on the chicken coop and chickens exactly. itself right so well you're involved What's that? You have to ration out the eggs because they're so expensive to pay off the cost of the coop. That is exactly right. <laughs> so, well, you're involved in a really interesting ministry. It sounds like you've been for a bit, but you've taken over a new leadership role in this ministry called Mom Life today. So tell us a little bit about the ministry and, and what the purpose of it is. Because mothers, I just I do watch my own wife and just how many things she has to juggle. It does seem like there are 10 to 12 beanbags or balls that she is always throwing up in the air on any given day. So tell us a bit about this ministry. Right. So mom life today is is simply that it's your mom life today. So we're all at different levels. We all have different experiences and backgrounds. And so the original idea was to bring moms from different backgrounds, ways of life, one kid, two kids, adoption, special needs, and bring a, bring them to a place where they could hear God's truth. Mm. Where that we go out into the day, whether it's like I call it a gold star, sometimes I have a gold star day or I should say a gold star moment or other moments where we're like, when is bedtime? It's this idea (laughs) that we can have some encouragement to get through it based on God's 
word. And so that's really the 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 way that I want to go forward with mom life today is just be a place where we can commune and talk and have community because quite frankly it's it's interesting that you you become a mom and you have this person that's always around you but yet you still feel isolated. Um there's new there's a newness to it of figuring out, you know, how do I communicate with my friends? How do I communicate with my husband? How do I all these things when you are always, you're, you're never alone once you become a mother <laughs> and they're young. Um, so, and I just feel like, you know, just there's, there's a, there's a sense of isolation and there's also a fear of stepping into the mom groups because of what that brings. So why can we not have a mom group that's based in truth and love and have a place for us to come and get encouragement through the day? I think that's an incredible statement that you just made. And I, I'm guessing there are many listeners right now that are nodding their heads in their cars or listening at home, making breakfast, whatever, about the idea that you might have people around you all day long, but there's this sense of isolation and, and that even there's this fear, maybe you don't know what you're doing day in and day out. I, I don't know what it's been like for you as a family, but I know for my wife and me, we sort of feel like we're making it up as we go along half the time. Absolutely. There's no handbook. And then when you choose something to do, you feel like you're doing it wrong. And so I feel like there was many nights and still are nights where I'm like, I totally, I botched. That is just (laughs) not a good thing that I did. I got to redo that. And so I think the problem is too, you feel isolated, but then when you go to ask for help, there's a million different ways to do it. Mm. And people kind of, you know, this is the only way, this is the best way. And I think that's discouraging. Um, And it's fright. I mean, it's frightening as well. So, you know, we just have to, to realize in this space with my mom life today, I want it to be a place where someone can say, I did it X, Y, Z way. That's not the only way, but maybe you could give it a try. And what I've done with our parenting, to your point, is that I've looked around, I've talked around and I say, you know, I pick a little bit here, a little bit there. And I feel like what we have to do what works for our family. And so there's no judgment with what time you, if it's 7.30, 6.30 or 10 o'clock when you put your kids to bed. But it's nice to hear some of the benefits, the pros and the cons to making these choices. And then you can go and make the best choice for your family. I think the problem is we don't have a place where we can have that kind of conversation because people say, no, this is the only way. Well, I have seven kids with seven different personalities. <laughs> I had to do a lot of different things. And so, you know, you can laugh through it because sometimes you just want to cry, honestly. But hopefully mom life today will be a place where, you know, it's not it's a, it's a lot of different voices, a lot of different opportunities to hear different things that work. But also it's an opportunity for us to always go back to the truth and how God sees us and knowing where our identity comes from. And yes, motherhood is important. It's it's a it's a gift that we've been given. But we've also been called as children of God, as daughters of a king. And when we operate out of knowing our identity in that that spills over into our motherhood. And so sometimes we work from a pla- a very empty place of do, 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 do. And, you know, my hope is that we, we fall back in love with Jesus. We get back in our word. Now that could mean veggie tales for the day or whatever you're doing with your kid, but you're just like, you're, you're aware that Lord, I need you to get through this. I'm coming here with my, with my, you know, five loaves and two fish. And I'm looking, I, that's my prayer every morning. I'll sell I have. I'm expecting a miracle through you to produce what I cannot. And so it's being in that state of mind throughout the day that I'm hoping that mom life today will give us an opportunity because we do have our phones to be like to get a little mom prayer, to get a little encouragement, to say, yes, you can do this because you were made for this. And and you were made for a lot of things. But in this moment, let's get through getting through this two year old who will not eat their food. You know, <laughs> yeah, so absolutely. 
here's some reality to what's going on. There's some laughter. We have to all laugh because we all we're not doing this alone. A lot of us are experiencing very similar stories. Mm, can't recommend it enough. It is momlifetoday.com. It is a place where mothers can gather and just swap the the stories of the day that are happening behind the scenes. So often feeling isolated and alone and maybe not knowing what to do. And Kirsten, I have to confess that Bob the tomato and Larry the cucumber have been very important voices in their household growing up. I agree. I'm like, Lord, speak through Bob. Yes, I understand. <laughs> well, you know, speak to me on my level. So uh, yes, I, I mean, there's just times where, you know, in all honesty, like getting in your word, I'm falling asleep. Like I'm so tired. Mm. And so Throughout the day, it's ways to incorporate your kids in things, wait to help, you know, doing, you know, scripture memory with them. And so there were you're learning as well. You only have to be one day ahead. That's all I say. I'm like, Kirsten, if you're one day ahead, you seem like you know what you're talking about. So it's just a matter of figuring out those things, those little tips that help us to, to be in the scriptures and to know it. And but then also to be able to pass that on to our kids is such a blessing. It's mm, great stuff from Kirsten Watson. We're going to take a short break, Kirsten. When we come back. We'll talk more about just tips around motherhood and how we can be more bonded together during the sort of this isolating time, especially as part of the community that you are now directing here. Again, it is momlifetoday.com. More to come with Kirsten Watson next. I can be your friend. I can be your friend. Gee, thanks, Paul Perot. That's not going to be in my head for the rest of today. <laughs> doing my part, man. You doing are my part. doing your part. Chatting with Kirsten Watson of MomLifeToday.com, online community of Christian mothers. And Kirsten, we were just chatting about our favorite VeggieTales episodes. I think I went with Josh in the big wall with the French peas throwing slushies at the rest of the vegetables there around the walls of Jericho. Do you have a favorite uh, VeggieTales? Yeah, I'm definitely an Esther girl. I just, I just love that whole, the whole thing. And, and I was just mentioning too, like the Shad, the Shad Rack, Meshack and Abednego and yes. the, the music in that one is so great. And so I don't know. I, I'm just definitely, I, all of them have a special place in my heart for sure. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, the ministry that you're doing again, so important for mothers. And I even love sort of what you began to talk about in this first segment, that there's, there's these daily things that go on. And I'm sure that mothers and fathers both feel a ton of pressure to just they they know what they do at every moment with their kids and they know what to do and how to shepherd and how to lead and yet those these minutes go by these hours go by these days go by and i think sometimes it feels very overwhelming and especially with some of the shifting in family dynamics and the constitution of the family we've seen over the past maybe two three generations i'm guessing you're seeing kirsten that there are more mothers that are growing up in situations that maybe think, gosh, I, I don't really have people to talk to to help lead the way like maybe it was the case in the past. So I'm assuming this community is filling in quite a gap for a lot of women. Definitely. I think you can go on and see that there has been there. There are articles and prayers from a variety of different women from a variety of different walks of life. I think one thing that we're missing is um, we have a we feel as though we have a lot on our plate and we do. Um, but as our kids grow up, they are going to encounter a lot of different types of people. And so I think one of the things that I'm, that I'm seeing and hearing is how do I make sure my child knows the Lord, like that they know biblical truth. And, and a lot of times, because we are so busy, we say, well, that'll happen at church to some extent. Like that's where they're going to really, you know, we'll send them to a Christian school or, you know, we'll pray at home, of course, but like we need, you know, other people will do it. And I think one thing that if anything, we've learned is that it is our responsibility. And so for us, where we are, like we can't even really go to church now. So a, a lot of that shepherding and discipleships first starts with, with Benjamin and I doing that with our kids. And I think that, um, you know, when we think about the 
mom life today, it's like I always think about Titus, the Titus two woman and what it tells us to do in terms of, you know, older women helping the younger women. Now, that doesn't mm. mean that old means like elder. I mean, like old can, is relative, right? Like, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm finding that out, Kirsten, as life goes <laughs> on. <laughs> exactly. So what is old? Old is just older than someone else. And so that can happen in your 20s. That can happen in your 30s, your 40s, your 50s. So we're always told to to look back and to help and to um, pray for and to direct. And so I think um, that's what we're missing because um, we can get very much in our corners and, and think our way is right. And we can almost, you know, make someone feel bad for doing it this way. Like, why would you do that? And I, every time I hear that conversation in a mom conversations, I'm like, whoa, like back up. You, you really have to, you don't know what someone is going through. You don't know, like you said, the shifting of, of who's working in the home, out of the home. Um, and there's just so many dynamics and, and layers to it. And so I think really, I just want to inspire moms to model their lives after Jesus. Like it, It's really, it sounds so kind of simple, but the idea is like these opinions, your opinions on how you maneuver through the day, they are important. Yes. But there is something even more important hmm. that will help give you peace in those little things. Like how, when do I start disciplining? When do I start like all the, when do they get a phone? All of these things seem like there's such you know, big tasks where when we're grounded in Jesus, not saying it makes it easy, but we say, you know what, I'm just not ready for that. And then we can have a conversation about it with our child. And it's, and so I think the convert, the idea of talking and conversating with our children around the dinner table, around snack time, around whatever it is, I think more of that happens when we, again, know our identity and we, we can say, and you know, may, we always hear that thing with, oh yeah, well, so-and-so gets to do it. Well, I'm not so-and-so's parents. And then we kind of, that was kind of like left right there. It was like, well, let's, let's talk about what, what is the truth behind that? You know, what is, what do you think God would think about that? And, and why is it that we're maybe saying no, why is that more of a protection rather than just a discipline? Because I think sometimes we look at the Bible the same way, like, you know, God says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But that's really a protection. Hmm. And so it's about changing our mindset when we go into motherhood about these little people that we are raising. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I smile. There's sometimes where, I'm like I said, you just really want to just sit and cry. and like, am I doing this right? Like, I don't have what it takes. Well, the reality, sis, is that we don't. We don't, but we serve a big God who will fill up and fill out the places that we fall short. I love the idea too, with my kids being home, all of them are home. Five of them are doing um, remote school. And I tell you, we used to homeschool and I said that was like the roughest time ever, but it was the time <laughs> I was able to really practice repentance and really practice, you know, asking for forgiveness. I tell my kids when they argue with each other and something happens, like you have to ask for forgiveness and you need to forgive. Why? Immediately. Cause God does. Well, it's one thing if I tell them that to do that between the two of them, the three of them or whoever's arguing, but it's quite another when they see their mom do that to them. Hmm. It's quite another when I had come to them and said, you know what, how I reacted, how I responded, that was totally wrong. Like, do you forgive me? And it's in those moments that we can freely go into motherhood because we know that we can be forgiven and that we are forgiven. And so the way we approach things is not always perfect, far from, but we know that we're showing our kids the realness of life. And the realness of our relationship with Jesus, it's one that we want to do our best. 
we want to learn and and walk in obedience, but we don't always, but we have a loving God, a giving God, a forgiving God who is merciful, who is who is just, who um, gives grace upon grace. And all these things are just words until we actually live them mm. and that our kids are able to see it. And so the hope is that um, mom life today will provide a space that we don't have a lot of time to read. I mean, there's any mothers out there that are like me. I'm like, I would love to read this article in like in, in highlight and mm-hmm. use my color pen. But the reality of it is I will get to that one day, maybe sometime late tonight when you're sleeping, but a little bit of encouragement, like just to remind me of who I serve and who I represent throughout the day. Like that might be the thing that can get me to, to bedtime or no. get me to nap time. And so that's what I hope mom life today will be wherever yeah. you are. It's so encouraging, Kirsten, because we don't come out of the shoot knowing how to really do anything in life and, and motherhood would fall in that category as would fatherhood. So to have a place to go to just sort of learn in this process along the way to be encouraged. And so Mom Life Today, again, it's momlifetoday.com. This is Kirsten Watson. Can't recommend it enough as a place to go for resources with other mothers, maybe similar stages in life, as well as people who've been through it before for encouragement too. Thanks so much for joining us this morning, Kirsten. Thank you for having me. We'll take a short break and do some bottom of the hour news. And then when we come back for the last part of the show, we'll talk with Doug Paul, who's the author of an interesting book called Kingdom Innovation. Well, in the midst of the disappointing news coming out of Green Bay, Wisconsin yesterday with the Packers not making their way to the Super Bowl, there was a heartwarming story that emerged, and that was that an 85-year-old Green Bay Packers fan who had never missed a playoff game thought her streak was coming to an end. Fritzy Neitzel of Green Bay went to her first Packers game with her father in October of 1945, right at the wow. end of World War II, Paul. She was 10 years old. She said, when I was born, they didn't put red blood in me. I got green in one side and gold on the other. And uh, she had a chance to then, somebody heard her story and was able to get her some tickets for the game yesterday. And her response, I just thought was so sweet. She said, I'm still a total mess to tell you the truth. It's just I keep pinching myself. I'm thinking, is this dreaming or is this real? And in the midst of all the COVID and everything that's so difficult in our world, it was really heartwarming to see fans in the stands and knowing that Fritzy was there as well. So nice story out of Green Bay. We're sorry here in Minnesota for your disappointment yesterday. In a couple minutes, we'll be back here on Mornings Without Carmen. And Doug Paul, the author of Kingdom Innovation, will join us to talk about Christian creativity in the marketplace. This is Max Locato. Failure finds us all. Failure is so universal that we must wonder why more self-help gurus don't address it. Bookstores overflow with volumes on how to succeed. But you'll look a long time before you'll find a section called How to Succeed at Failing. Maybe no one knows what to say, but God does. His book is written for failures. It is full of folks who are foul-ups and flops but got a second chance. David was a moral failure, yet he became a man after God's own heart. Jonah was in the belly of a fish when he prayed his most honest prayer and then saw revival in Nineveh. Perfect people? No. Perfect messes? You bet. Yet God used them all. A surprising and welcome discovery of the Bible is this. God uses failures. This is Max Locato. This is a kingdom. 
I like that musical choice, Paul Perot. How'd you dig that one out of the archives? That's very solid. Dig? Uh-uh. I had it ready. You are queued up, <laughs> but you are the, the musician wizard of the program. There's no question about it. It's about 21 minutes before the top of the hour. This is Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Dr. Peter Kapsner filling in for today and for the week and delighted to be joined by innovation strategist and author Doug Paul, who wrote a pretty intriguing book about where we are at Life in the Church called Kingdom Innovation. Good morning, Doug. Good morning. How are y'all doing today? Well, we're doing pretty well. Uh, it's been uh, quite a few great guests, and you are among them. Looking forward to this conversation. I know that the the church consistently and pretty constantly, what's true about the church over generations, and I'm a historical theologian, and, and see that the church does have to adapt. It doesn't change its message, but it does have to adapt the way maybe it presents its message about the heart of the gospel from generation to generation to generation. And uh, my understanding is, is, is that idea of the church engaging with the next generations and innovating in that space was sort of the impetus for this book for you. Yeah, it is. And I, I actually love the fact that you're a historical theologian because I think th- this idea of innovation within the church is, is not a new idea. I mean, this is what the people of God have been doing for literally thousands of years. Um, and I think about our capacity for, to reach the next generation with the gospel and for people to, to experience that kind of change and uh, I, I think, you know, we've got a church that, that could be really good at reaching people in the 1950s. We could, we've got a church that could probably be really good at reaching people in the early 2000s, churches that could probably reach people really well in the early 2010s. It's just that we don't live in those times anymore. Yeah, I think that's such an important point. And you, and you talk about the fact that the church does have to address things differently. I remember back, you know, it was about the, well, I don't, I wasn't there in the sixth century, but I remember of the times of the sixth century <laughs> in which what historically had been that baptism and communion were practiced at the same time or baptism and confirmation were just simply because the Roman Empire began to expand the way that it did and Christianity began to take hold. And it was so many different villages is that the Pope at that time decided, well, we can have the parents baptized, but we still need an officiant of the church to do confirmation. And so instead of doing those things on the same day, it would take them sometimes months and years to uh, practice confirmation after the baptism. But Doug, that didn't change the message or the meaning of what baptism and confirmation were meant to do. It just changed sort of the practice. And that's kind of what we're talking about here, right? We're, when we talk about innovation, we're not changing the message of our faith. We're not somehow departing from it. We are just simply understanding that the times may need different strategies, different ideas related to it. Exactly. And I think what, what oftentimes happens is we confuse the method with the mission. Hmm. And what we, we, what we ultimately do is we lose sight of the fact that like Jesus is on a mission in this world and he's out ahead of us and our job is to join him in what he's doing. But it's not like the, the method of that, miss, that mission is like that's very uh, temporary. And oftentimes what we do is when we confuse is we start to protect the method. And we lose sight of the mission altogether. Um, and so in, in the way that like Sunday school was one of the most revolutionary things of the last 300 years, it was one of the greatest social movements we've seen in the last five centuries. But what Sunday school is today and what it was 300 years ago, wildly different things accomplishing a very different mission. Hmm. I think that's such an important point, Doug, that you're making there. Is and, and I think it's understandable, right, that when we've experienced God's movement from his eternal kingdom through a certain method or through a certain wineskin, as it were, that yeah. that wineskin sometimes that we, we can mistake it, again, very understandably for the wine itself. And so I think about 
when I was growing up and choirs would come down the aisle with their flowing robes and they would stand up in front and maybe sing Handel's Messiah. I still get chills to this day and God met me in those moments of that. But even the choir itself is a wine skin and not the wine. And you're talking about pouring new wine uh, into new wine skins related to the movement and the flow of the spirit. Exactly. And we're not we're not saying that we would do that in a way that isn't faithful right. to the gospel, isn't faithful to the Bible, isn't faithful to Orthodox Christianity. We're simply saying those things are firm. We hold those things, but we have to find new, fresh ways to make sure that people have access to the gospel. We have an access problem right now with emerging generations. They do not have access to the good news of Jesus. And I, I work with young people week in and week out, and we were talking about this, you and I, off air just a little bit. I am consistently amazed at just what they're dealing with related to their faith, the, the the needs of the faith, whether it be religious pluralism. I mean, they are being exposed to different religious practices from different religious traditions in ways that I never grew up with. We didn't have the mobility and the technology that they do to do and that they do today. And so we don't have this collision of cultures going on all the time. So just it, just even the cell phone itself has really altered the way they experience their life. And I'm sure you see this in the next generation, too that their questions are so fundamentally different because the landscape of this world has changed so much. Absolutely. And I think that when I'm talking to, I mean, it could be parents, it could be pastors, it could be any number of Christian leaders. The, the, I think the easiest way to look at it is like, you've got this really successful program called Alpha, right? Right. And it's about these, these questions that uh, at the time they were saying like, everyone asked these questions. But one of the questions is, can the Bible be trusted? Let me tell you, your average 16-year-old or your average 21-year-old, that's not a question they're asking. Right. It's just not. Now, they are asking some big, big questions, and the good news is that Christianity has some great answers to some of those questions, but we have to start with what are, what are they actually asking, and how does the gospel meet them in their moment, not meet them in a generation or two past? And I'm assuming that's what you find is sort of within the beauty of the gospel is it has the capacity to meet all of these different questions as the world evolves and adapts and changes. The gospel still has a capacity to meet these different questions from different angles. Absolutely. There's this great analogy that I've heard before about how the gospel is often is like playing golf. Um, <laughs> be careful. It, be careful here, Doug. I, you know, I can go pretty wayward with my with my seven iron. Well, I, I can go wayward with far more than my seven iron. Um, <laughs> But but the idea that like not every club works on every shot. Oh yeah. And like the driver's great when I need to hit it long and straight, but if I need it to go, if I need to get out of a sand bunker, I need I'm going to need a different kind of club. And the great thing about the gospel is that it works for all shots, but we have to use it in different ways. Um it, because it's so multifaceted, it's so deep, it's so rich, it's so good. It speaks to everyone, but we have to let it do that. We're talking with Doug Paul this morning about uh, Ready or Not, Kingdom Innovation uh, as a book that just encourages us as a church to be thinking about how we can stay true to the historical message of the gospel, but begin to address the different questions of the day. Doug, when we come back in just a minute, I'd love to walk through your book a little bit. You have a pretty intriguing opening chapter called Archimedes' Revenge. I don't know much about Greek mathematicians, but I'm looking forward to having you explain a bit about how this connects with the idea of innovation. So more to come up next about Kingdom Innovation.
Welcome back to the show. It's about 12 minutes for the top of the hour. I am Dr. Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LeBurge today and this week, and we're having a delightful conversation with Doug Paul, the author uh, of a book around kingdom innovation. And Doug, I'm curious, you start this book, chapter one, it's called Archimedes Revenge, and I'm really curious how you are relating a Greek mathematician to this idea of kingdom innovation. Yeah, so the idea is that we have some myths when it comes to innovation, and one of the myths really starts in this story um, about Archimedes, which is, you know, th- this Greek mathematician who was given the task of putting together a gold crown for the local tyrant. And he was scared to death that the, the goldsmith who was making the crown was going to screw it up. Um, and by screw it up, I mean he wasn't going to he was going to withhold some of the gold. And so he's trying to figure out how do I make sure that this is 100 percent gold so that I don't lose my head? And the story goes that, you know, he's sitting in a bath completely naked in the city of Syracuse. And he suddenly thinks about like the law of buoyancy and how that that would that could help him solve the problem. He jumps out of the bath and he's shrieking, Eureka, Eureka, and then starts running through the uh, the city of Syracuse in the streets, completely naked, (laughs) screaming, Eureka, Eureka, which means I've got it. I've got it. And the myth is this, that we think innovation happens in those kinds of moments. Mm. We're just sitting there, we're waiting for inspiration to strike, and then boom, we get it. Um, and and the, the fact of the matter is that is the, those eureka moments that we have, they can happen, but they happen because we've been what, what's called cultivating these half ideas and half hunches for sometimes years of time before they start to come together. And they, we might have a moment where things seem clear, but we've actually been working on something for quite some time. And this is this is really, really helpful when we're thinking about gospel and we're thinking about kingdom innovation, because what it what it means is like by meditating on the problem, by 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 sitting in reflective prayer with the Lord, by chewing on the problem, by talking with people, we are actually doing the work of innovation. We just don't know it sometimes. Mm. And we don't if we if we think that it's like I've just got to wait for inspiration to strike, we're going to go down the wrong rabbit hole. I think you bring up such an important point about the idea that innovation is happening nearly constantly, whether we are parents of our kids, we're trying out new things, learning new ways, trying to understand new situations, whether we are business people, whether we're working in the church. And I know within the realm of business, there's sort of this old adage that if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. There's no such thing as kind of the status quo where you get to just stay in a certain spot. And of course, the culture is ever shifting and ever changing. So to be an innovator is to be somebody who doesn't necessarily just have this bathtub eureka moment, like you said. It's somebody who's constantly thinking about things on behalf of their kids, if they're a parent, on behalf of their church, if they're a church leader. So this becomes a way in which to do life, right, Doug? This is, and I think you're hitting on something that is incredibly important, uh, which is sometimes when we think about innovation, we're thinking like at a macro level, we're thinking organization, like how do I change the big C church or how do I change my church, which could have a couple hundred people, a couple thousand people. Um, but really most of the innovation that we're seeking starts at the kitchen table. Mm. And so it's like, look, you've got these kids, they're your primary disciples, right? And all of a sudden they've got screens all around them and all the addictive properties of screens. If we're going to disciple these kids and raise them up in the, the fear and the admonition of the Lord, we have to innovate because we have no idea what to do with these screens. And, we, we, and so it's going to require that we consistently ask really hard questions, that we consistently ask hard questions about ourselves and how we're parenting, how we're raising our kids, how we're discipling them, and then accept the fact that sometimes we're going to get it right, sometimes we're going to get it wrong. But we can we can iterate. We can keep trying. We can keep tweaking and adapting what it is that we're doing. 
And that's just one example of something mm. that we need to do that starts at the kitchen table. Yeah. One of the things that you see is that some of the biggest innovations that have happened for the kingdom have started very, very small on the margins, and they've started in like living rooms. And I think that's really important for us to see. You have no idea that with what, how God is going to use what it is you're doing with your kids or your neighbors or any of the things that you, you're up to where you live, work, and play. Yeah, I think that's such a helpful invitation, Doug, because I think of innovation. I think, well, that's for the chosen few, for the breast and the brightest or the resume people, all of that. But you're just you're talking about the space of people simply talking about life, talking about problems, talking about issues within the context of living room. And it kind of pulls a picture into my mind of not trying to do innovation by yourself, that when you start getting in conversation with other people, you see a lot of different angles of things. So how important is walking within a trusted community to seeing the innovation that's needed, whether, again, it's in your family or within the church, whatever context you find yourself? There, there are virtually no examples where it's one person doing it alone mm. when it comes to innovation, virtually none. And I, I think you actually hit on something that's really important, which is like one of the one of the other myths around innovation is that some people have like a special gene, like LeBron James <laughs> has a special gene that allows him to be one of the best basketball players who's ever lived. And also like he's in his 18th year and he's still just as good as ever. It's just crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> He's got some genes that I don't. That's very clear. And sometimes <laughs> we think about that with innovation. Like there's some people who have the innovation gene and some people that don't. But actually, that, that is – while there are people who, who might have a more pioneering mind than others, some of the best innovation in the kingdom does not happen just with people who have those kinds of minds. When you think about like how AA started, it wasn't started because someone was super pioneering. It was because this guy named Bill Wilson and Bob Smith, they had a simple problem. They couldn't stop drinking. And so what did it look like for them to innovate what is something that now has 130 million people in it 90 years later? Well, it's, it's, it started with not because they were smarter, because they had a gene that everyone else didn't. In fact, one could, one could say like they got some genes that, put them, that really disadvantaged them. They couldn't <laughs> stop drinking. But they came up with one of the greatest social movements in the history of civilization. It's so helpful to think about that invitation in terms of anybody really can innovate. And I'm curious, Doug, what you would say about the idea of sort of disciplining your mind to be a bit of a counter-cultural person, to be an innovator, just assuming that whatever the herd is doing, whatever the next big thing is that's going viral, that maybe some of those things should be questioned and we don't just get swept along because to innovate is to look at a situation and say, huh, maybe there's something I'm missing or maybe there's, there, there's a different dimension of this we need to attend to. So how much of it to be an innovator is to be thinking, mm, I'm not just going to go along with the herd all the time. I, I think that's important. And I think it's, I mean, there's that famous quote where it's like have a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other. Um, and it's like bringing together these, these two things that can sometimes feel different or they, they don't belong together, but they actually do. And I think one of the things that we start with with innovation is actually asking some really big questions. That's where we have to start, is asking questions. And sometimes it's, hey, is, is this thing where, every, where everyone is going, um, is that where we want this thing to end up? Like, is, is the church really going to end up being completely digital? And I think one of the funny things is like when COVID first hit in you know, March, April, and May, there's this big movement towards like, this is the future of the church, the meeting in person is not going to be nearly as important, and everything is moving digitally. Well, after a year of this, it's almost the opposite. It's like, you know what? Digital, it's awful. We're moving yeah. on. And it's, it's neither of those things. It's both of these things belong together. 
But I think there is this, when there can be a move of everyone else, when there seems to be a trend or a fad, we have to like, let's pump the brakes. Let's ask some questions. Let's actually ask the Lord. And let's get, let's, let's wait for wisdom to come. Oh, that's such great advice. Thanks so much for joining us here this morning. The book, again, is Ready or Not, Kingdom Innovation for a Brave New World, available in all the usual channels, including Amazon Prime. Uh, 96 ratings, almost unanimously five stars. Thanks for joining us again this morning, Doug. Thank you for having me. We'll take a short break and wrap up the show for the 25th of January on Mornings Without Carmen. What a fun second hour of the show to have Kirsten Watson talking about momlifetoday.com and uh, author Doug Paul with Kingdom Innovation for a Brave New World. Started the show this morning getting bathed in the word from artist musician Sarah Groves with a great song called The Word. And she has this bridge as part of it that really gets us into it and immerses us into some of the most important scriptures I think that are really meaningful to so many of us. So we're going to close the show that same way here this morning. It was great to be with you again. We'll catch you tomorrow on Mornings Without Carmen. Discover all the ground that I have covered. Like seek ye first, what a verse. We are pressed but not crushed, perplexed but don't despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are no longer slaves, we are daughters and sons. And when we are weak, we are very strong. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.